owners are relating to, to a cause, to a feeling, to an, an issue, to an emotion they feel strongly about, the actual organization comes second. That then makes it our responsibility to build that, lo that loyalty, right? You know, it's, it's the cause and the emotion that brings donors in first. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. In today's episode, I'm joined by T. Clay Buck. He's the founder and principal consultant at Tactical Fundraising Solutions. And during our conversation, we talk all about fundraising strategies for 2020. It's a new year, and we dive into what you should be focused on right now in January to ensure you're set up for success later in the year. Clay is a wealth of knowledge and has extensive experience in your seat as a fundraising professional. It's an incredible conversation, so let's dive in. You know, every year, December really like stewards in like a whirlwind of fundraising appeals, like holiday events, last minute board requests, you know, all this other stuff that nonprofits have to deal with. But then like the ball drops, the dust settles and you reset everything. Um, and ultimately, like you set all these new goals, these commitments, but then, you know, we're halfway through January and the reality and kind of challenges of a fundraising fundraiser's job starts to settle in again. And there's all these new things that you have to deal with. And so I mean, uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about because the, the challenge too is like, what should a nonprofit fundraiser do? Like how do leaders actually navigate a new year so that they're effectively preparing to be successful now for 2020? Um, and I know, you know, you have a background in helping nonprofits and are doing that as a consultant today. And so I'm eager to dive into that with you. But before we do that, yes. I want to start with a question that I think is interesting. I've been asking guests this, and I think it helps kind of showcase some of the storyline that, you know, us as people uh, in the generosity ecosystem business uh, and like why we've gotten into that. And so... Do you remember the first charity that actually resonated with you or that you remember giving to early on? Hmm. And what, what really drove that? Huh. Actually, I do. And I haven't thought of this in 100 years, right? So this would have been mm, 84, 85, right? Early 80s. And um, baby seals were like that was the thing that everybody was talking about the, the clubbing of baby seals in the antarctic and i was always an animal person um you know even then um and i remember getting <laughs> vividly um remember getting my family got some sort of direct mail pack um and I saw the picture of the cute baby seal and, and nothing would do but that we started supporting um uh, anti uh, protecting baby seals in the Antarctic. Wow! And I, I don't know. I think I've always <laughs> I remember had... those. I remember those uh, those appeals. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the first one that I remember really resonating in that sort of large scale. I can't even remember the organization, but I remember the cause, and I remember <laughs> I remember the stickers, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember I would have been so. It, yeah, I would have been younger. So this must have been early 80s, 81, 82. Uh, 
um, because I remember asking my parents for money because I wanted to support it and I wanted to send it. And they, they did, right? So the sort of being a part of charities and being a part of helping and uh, giving back was always part of the family family deal. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you said something really interesting there that you remember the cause, but you don't remember the organization. <laughs> right. And you right. Know, we're talking the early 80s where that starts to surface. And I think nonprofits today, just based on how fractured attention is and how um, ubiquitous access to information is that in some ways the cause kind of drives the discovery of organizations that work on that rather than the discovery of an organization that then reveals the cause, which I think is a change that's actually happened, you know, over the course of like 10, 15, 20 years, where it has been this like reorientation of like the discovery process for how people find new causes to invest in. Have you seen the same thing at all or have seen that firsthand? Yeah, no. And I mean, you know, I'm based in Las Vegas and and I sort of have to take everything from because, I mean, I do a lot of work here in our community, which I sort of use as, as kind of a litmus test and a temperature gauge. And I keep going back to this community in October 1, um, which was, you know, awful and terrible. And as a community, within a week, we raised over $10 million to help the victims of the October 1 shootings. And, and again, you have to tie the emotion and the community to it and all of that. And I don't want to disregard that, but take a step back yeah, and look at it gosh. from the academic sort of, you know, uh, professional viewpoint and go, we put $10 million into a cause that quite literally, it had a couple of champions, a couple of very visible champions in the community but nobody knew what organization is this going to? How is the money going to be spent? What does this mean? Helping the victims, you know, et cetera. And, and indeed, um, after all of this, there was a council put together and they handled it very, but there was no plan. It was just raise the money and we'll get it to the victims. And I think that speaks very loudly to cause over organization, right? And, and no matter how sophisticated we get or how, much we talk about branding or you know whatever it may be at the end of the day i i still think and still see donors are relating to to a cause to a feeling to an, an issue to an emotion they feel strongly about the actual organization comes second that then makes it our responsibility to build that loy that loyalty right because you know it's it's the cause and the emotion that brings donors in first and I think that personally, I think that transcends, you know, age, demographic, whatever, you know, millennial versus boomer, whatever it may be. It's the cause and the story that gets us first and then the organization and, and the how of that emotion. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge that fundraisers have on top of a variety of other challenges. You know, as we look into the new year, you know, this is just one, like, how do you handle this kind of cause loyalty or cause driven acquisition versus, you know, kind of organizational loyalty. And like, how do you bridge those gaps? But over and above that, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, and I think it's probably no, uh, it's, it's probably related or correlated in some capacity. Like technology has really infiltrated every aspect of our lives. And this has drastically changed how today's donor really discovers and connects with and supports causes they care deeply about. Like, you know, even the response that you mentioned, like a devastating event 
but the community was able to rally together and mobilize instantly in a very quick way. Um, and I'm sure that was powered by technology. You could probably speak to that. Um, and so those changes of technology and kind of donor preferences are, I know, at the top of a lot of fundraisers um, kind of challenge list that I talk about. You know, but we're in a new year, and so the same challenges are here. So my question is like, well, what should nonprofits be doing about this? Like, what should they be focused on right now? Like, what are you advising your clients to do as they step into 2020? So let me let me answer that question, but let me take just kind of a higher view and work into it for a second. I think you're exactly right, and I do agree with you. And and I really didn't mean to spend <laughs> right now two responses talking about you know age and timing. I'm talking about fundraising in the early '80s. You know, I started in fundraising, and and quite literally, my first job, we had just implemented the second version of what is now a major CRM in the space, right? The word, the term CRM didn't exist. We just had this thing on our computers that tracked things and our master reference point was still of a hard file, right? So I, I have enough of a perspective to say, look, we did it with, with carbon copy and three by five cards in, in my career history. And we did it as well then as we're doing it now. So I'm a little hesitant on, you know, technology has changed fundraising or it's changed donors. We were attracting, I mean, that organization, the, the one that I talked about, whichever one it was with the baby seals, got my attention and my family's attention long before the era of technology and email and digital and social and et cetera. So I hold to the principles that were true then are still true now, and they are tell a great story. This is, this is to me, the number one thing that any nonprofit should be thinking about at all times is what is the story that we're telling not only about uh, the the beneficiaries that we serve and the cause that we're here to support but also about us as an organization what is our organizational story that that tells the public how we're how we're tackling it and then the second the second part of that is you can have the greatest story in the world and tell you know the most beautiful letter the the greatest appeal the best mission statement but if you don't know who your audience is and that that's where now the tech helps us even more than it did before but we did just fine before right the tech helps us even more is being able to target that message so what i'm talking to clients now about is you have just a little bit of breathing space here at the beginning of the year, just a little bit, right? To breathe, to kind of rest and relax and take that deep breath and go, okay, what are we focusing on? And the two things that I would focus on is what's the story that we're telling and who are we telling it to and getting that how, that that real very precise of the, the how and the processes and systems that support the fundraising, investing in that to ensure that. Yeah, no, and I definitely think you're right that it's not the technology has shifted because the first principles of fundraising have not changed. You know, it is about that purpose and people coming together to make that happen. Um, And I think it's important that you clarified that because I do think we get caught up in the conversation of 
well, what's changed? How have things changed? What do I do now? Rather than looking back at those first principles. And you kind of said in a different way, but yeah. how I've seen it is that as an organization, if you don't know what your purpose is, which is kind of what you referred to as the story and who the people are that you're trying to engage in that yeah. purpose and then have the processes or processes, depending on where you're from, um, to actually make that happen, (laughs) (laughs) nothing else really matters (laughs) at that point. So it's kind of the the purpose, the people, and the process um, are so essential. And I think you're right to remind people that, hey, let's let's do a, a quick pulse check on those three things as we step into a new year. And so I'm curious, yeah not that not like to go beyond like what is important but how do you do that like how would you advise what are some practical things that nonprofits should be doing to kind of evaluate those three p's sure um and 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 i think you have to look at this too in context of of well two things actually number one where are you in your fiscal year um because a lot of nonprofits run that, you know, and everybody's slightly different, but in general, you get two variations. You get the July to June fiscal year, and you also get the calendar fiscal year. So, you know, if if you're talking about an organization that has just ended their fiscal year, December 31st, like their planning needed to be done six months ago, four months ago. So they should be in month one of executing a new plan. Um, for, for, for those orgs, they don't have as much of that breathing space right now as others do. For the ones that are on the July to June, you know, you've just had this major year-end push. Um, and it, it, evaluating, I mean, right now, it's how did that resonate and what, what did we hear from donors and what do those results look like? The number one thing, um, honestly, with the volume of year-end giving and giving Tuesday and, you know, everything that happens through the last quarter of the year. Honestly, the number one thing that I would recommend, the number one thing that I'm seeing being very effective right at this point of the year is to stop and take stock in both a database audit and a communications audit. In other words, take the time to really dig into both uh, your database and, you know, what records do I have and where do we need, you know, where were our contact rates low and why were they low and what addresses and do we need to send it through NCOA, you know, and any hands and any of that, just take a real good look at what data needs you have right now to ensure as we get further into the year that the messages is getting is actually getting to people, number one. And the number Two, it's time to take stock of those communications. What resonated? What didn't? What was our best performing? You know, whether it's an email series or a social media series or whatever. What was the? What, what were the ones that resonated the most? What represented us best? What communication streams? You know, did we just get out there because we needed to get out there? And so let's abandon that approach and you know tackle this. Um, but I would say data first. But that's that tends to be yeah. where I come and what, from. What, 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 you're des- that, what you're describing uh, is really that, kind of. Data taking approach. a moment to stop and kind of do, you know, a post-mortem on, you know, what has happened yeah. or, you know, what you can call it a bunch of different yeah. things, but yeah. that idea of actually looking back and doing, you know, a, a, an audit of kind of like what just happened. Um, and I think that's, 
I think that's a great yeah. that's a great point though. A lot of times happen. we focus yeah. so much on what do I need to do rather than what just happens. And I think getting that insight into what just happened actually helps you inform what you need to do. And we we tend to kind of skip over that. And, I, and it's understandable. Like the people listening to this that are in fundraising leadership roles or nonprofit leaders, you know, live in a hair on fire environment typically. And so doing that is, is sometimes is a challenge because you do feel so desperate, but it is essential and it makes you so much more effective at the things that you do end up investing in. Um, and I know I've seen that firsthand. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. There was one organization that I worked with that, you know, it did kind of a general audit and, and really felt that digital was the platform they needed to be on. They needed to be doing more email you know, more digital newsletters and so forth. And so they really wanted to invest in, you know, that was their plan for the beginning of the year to really invest more in digital. And we, we, <laughs> we sat down and went through their databases, about a 20,000 name database. And we did an actual database audit, which is, it essentially takes every field in the database and says, you know, is it populated? Is it not? Is it valid? Is it not? You know, et cetera. And out of like 20, 25,000 records in the database, Base, only 2% had actual email addresses. And then when we compared that to the email server, of those 2% that actually had email populated, you know, the, the contact rates and open rates were less wow. than yeah. 5 or 6%. You know, so it was, okay, great idea, guys. You know, but do you have the data to support the plan you want to execute? Because your audience is telling you they are a print audience. They're not interested in hearing from you digitally. You need to invest more in getting those digital permissions, right? It informs the strategy of, of what you're doing by knowing what yeah, you have. And that makes so much place. sense. Like sometimes it's like, oh, this is the right thing to do because we think so. But do we really have the A, yeah. capabilities, <laughs> um, B, the resources, and C, like you mentioned, the data. Right. And I think the thing about data, and I know you mentioned you're a data guy, is that there's kind of like a growing conversation around like data because, you know, in some cases we actually have access to much more data than we ever had and new data. Um, we even have things like big data or AI and predictive modeling. However, ultimately, like, again, this adds to many new layers of right. complexity to the fundraising task. Um, and what I've seen personally is often it just, people don't know what to do with it all and just opt back to kind of a traditional mass blast prey tactic. Yep that yeah and so i'm just curious yeah. i know i know you dig Spray into data a lot yeah. with your clients yeah. and you know in when you've been in fundraising roles so how do you advise leaders to really view and leverage data within their fundraising like i know you mentioned one tactic of just hey we need to look at this but what about going forward how, how do they tap that so and and Right. Great. I mean, it's a great question. Um, and you're exactly right. I think we're fundraising in the most exciting time. You might have to convince um, listeners. For, of that. for me, 2020. <laughs> so you're gonna have um, to make you're gonna make yeah. a case for that. <laughs> yeah, I will just some people would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to. I'm going to. And again, I don't know. I think this is just heavy on my mind here at the first of the year, right? 2020 marks for me, this is this is 30 years that I've been in fundraising. I started when I was two. Uh, you know, 
And, and so I don't know, there's a little bit of career reflection happening for me right now, looking back on 30 years, right? I think it's exciting because number one, we have more and better tools, right? All the tools that are out there help us fundraise better. That said, they're only as good as we implement them. There is no system, and all due respect to you and every CRM provider and every every data provider and all of that, there is no magic bullet. It is only as good as how you use them and how you implement them. But number two, we have more data than we did. <laughs> we have more data on data. In other words, we know more. There's more research and we're borrowing from our sister fields in marketing and communications and others to know, you know, all, all of this about um, um, brain chemistry and how we respond and uh, how donors respond. And there's far, far, far more academic research going on to really know, you know, what do digital trends look like? What do direct mail trends look, whatever it is, we have much more data to take a truly informed approach versus the we're doing this because we've done it for 30 years and we know that it works, which is honestly how, how I learned when I came into the profession. All right. So that's number one. Number two. Um, yes, I'm a data guy, but I'm not a data guy. I failed algebra twice. There is nothing in my makeup. I am a trained actor for heaven's sake. So I, I approach data as a non-data person. And, and that's how I respond to how do you, how does any nonprofit with multiple priorities, with a thousand things going on, and all this information and all of these tools coming at them, how do you discern what your most immediate need is and what's, what's going to get you the fundamentally best results? And that's why I say we have to take a data-informed approach and know where we are and know what our results have been before we know where we can go. We have big goals in front of us, and whether that's a dollar goal or whatever the, the goals of our budget dictate, we got to know where we are before we can head into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I can't help but make the comparison. You know, you, you mentioned being a trained actor, and many of people listening to this are trained fundraisers. But there, there kind of is this, this demand today where you can't just be you know, the person on stage meeting with donors or performing in front of an audience like out and about, you know, which is still key to being an effective fundraiser. You really have to understand the other dynamics and kind of the, the other elements of the production that are helping to create the end result. And I feel like there's almost that mix between like, relationships and data in fundraising is very similar, maybe like an actor and like the production side of it, especially in today's where technology is so infused into a production um, where like you still have to have an understanding, but you don't have to be the expert. And I think that's what you're kind of sharing personally as well. I am as so many are. Um, and as we all rightly should be, very concerned about what we're seeing through things like the Fundraising Effectiveness Project and others that are tracking this donor retention rate, and we still haven't hit you know, 50% in donor retention overall. Um, and I'm also concerned about the reports that, that we see frequently from multiple sources that fewer households are giving uh, charitably. Now, there's a, a bunch of different ways, and the true numbers analytics folks 
right, can really dig into those numbers and what they mean. And, you know, I trust them and lean on them. But I think we all agree. These two metrics are the things in the sector that are really alarming in some ways. Now, I have no data on this. This is personal anecdote stuff. So this is Clay's opinion. But what I have seen so much increasing is this emphasis on quote unquote major gifts. And I see so many nonprofits abandoning or moving away from, you know, solid, good acquisition and retention streams because we're focused on this. We've got to get the big win. We've got to get the big dollars in the door. And we're, we're placing so much emphasis on getting those major gifts and those large high value gifts that we're almost potentially ignoring our other donors at all levels. Um, I am very big on, on equity in giving that philanthropy should not be the, the, the bastion of the, of the wealthy or those who can, that we need to make fundraising as accessible to everybody in our community as possible, and that we value all gifts at all levels. I, I, I really think for a data-informed approach to fundraising, and this has to come from our leadership and, and our boards and, and our CEOs need to be looking at this too, is it's not just about the dollars raised. It's, it's, it's not just, hey, we, we are an organization that has to raise, you know, one and a half million dollars. And if we raise that one and a half million dollars, then we're successful. We've got to look at all of those other metrics that go into it and look at, you know, your goal is a million and a half dollars. Well, and you get that from, I don't know, 10 donors. Great. You've hit your goal. Are those 10 donors going to give that same level again next year? So we need to be looking at so many other things like lifetime value, like, like response rates, like retention rates, like all of those other metrics that inform the, the ecosystem of generosity as a whole, not just what that high value attention is. This I think is, this I think is what, what, the next decade of fundraising is going to be about yeah. and has to be about is encouraging that philanthropy across the board. Yeah. And I agree a hundred percent. I think like we're beyond the age where we can just say like, well, we're just fishing for the biggest ones because I think yeah. most strategies have proven that it's like, Oh, let's go look and prospect for people that give a lot of money and let's continue to do that. Let's swap right. lists. Let's do all these other things, which it's not, the practices in of themselves that are the challenge, it's the use of them, which ultimately comes down to strategy and people. Mm -hmm. But it's just this idea mm -hmm. that we're like, oh, let's keep going after the same, same people, which I think is what's driving, you know, again, this is Noah's opinion, but it is what's driving this idea where people are just <laughs> opting out because a lot of the tactics we've used actually push the average giver out of the system and really just says, you know, we yes. don't value you here. And when we look at data that yes. says, why do donors keep giving versus why do donors stop giving? What we've found even in our research here at Virtuous is that it's about connectivity and connection yes. to the cause and to, you know, the commitment with the, with the organization. But that's built, if you look at relationship science, through responsiveness, which to us is actually yes. what has driven a lot of kind of the essence of this podcast and a bunch of the other work that we're doing um, is around this idea of like, we believe a world where nonprofits are more responsive to donors is a world that's going to help expand the generosity ecosystem for ages to come and ultimately help provide funding that's super important for the world's most you know important causes because we're, we have so many of them, you know? <laughs> and I think right. we, we, can't, we right. can't look at it and say, okay, well, these is that, like we're 
funding's still good. You know, we're going to keep going because there's other stats like, you know, and we mentioned some of them on the donor side, but the fact is that fundraisers themselves as professionals are opting out of the career. Yeah. Which is um, alarming. And I know, I know. And I, I listened to, I forget what it was, but they were like, you know, if the amount of professionals that are opting out of the fundraising profession was like doctors or lawyers or police officers, it would be a national crisis. Correct. Yes. And in some capacity, like it is a crisis for our global citizenship yes. in yeah, a world where like these professionals are the ones that help steward resources in a way that helps move and make progress on some of the world's most important causes. And so it is a huge crisis, not only on the donor side, but as the profession in general. And so I think, and I don't want to end on that note, but like there's kind of this essence where there's this collision of all these factors. And I think as a fundraising leader previously, and as someone that, you know, dedicates a lot of time to this, I'm like, man, how do we move forward practically? How do we continue, you know, moving the task forward? And so I kind of want to push that back on you. You know, we've, talked about fundraising planning we've talked about data um and we didn't even get to the fact that there's an election this oh year. my gosh <laughs> but right. I, I i would love for you to kind of distill down for listeners kind of maybe three focuses they should really have as they head into 2020 you know we've talked about a lot but where where should they really focus in on as they think about 2020 and beyond i think for fundraisers right for frontline fundraisers at any level whether it's the chief development officer or the development coordinator, whatever that position is for them, learn, make sure you know your stuff because there's so many opinions about fundraising and it comes from the board and it comes from the CEO and it comes from, you know, external, it comes from the public. Know what the facts and the data is showing there again there's so much information out there that we can quite literally look at many aspects of fundraising and say you know this is what the result is in this channel this is what the results are when you do this or x or y or whatever it is so knowing knowing that and having that strength and confidence to not only say this is what I have seen in my experience, but also here is the data and the research and the history to back this up. So again, we want to go all digital. Well, every study shows that you know direct response is still mail is still showing a slightly higher uh, acquisition rate than digital is, and so we should invest in digital. And so the fundraiser standing confident in that knowledge. And, and being able to, to say, you know, this is, this is what we know. Um, for the more global perspective, for every nonprofit, and especially since you brought it up in an election year, and, and with what you're talking about with responsive fundraising, Seth Godin says it, you know, we are in a relationship economy now. It's going to be, the success is going to be in really telling the story well and keeping our core group, our core supporters with us and moving forward through it, right? So it's got to be about, I, I, I hate this analogy, but it's like digging in, well, okay, right, here's the actor in me. Um, it's, you know, Polonius' speech to Laertes in Hamlet. Those friends thou hast and their adoption tried, grapple them to thy heart with hoops of steel. In other words, Hold those close to us who have already demonstrated they love us and they support us and they care about our missions. We've got to invest in making that relationship as absolutely strong as it can be because they're going to be the ones that stick with us. 
Absolutely. And I think it's so important. I think it just circles back to what we said in the first five minutes of the conversation, which it comes back to like, what is your purpose? Be super clear about that. Who are the people that care and could care about your work? And that's, and then create processes and systems that you know work to basically engage those two things. Um, and ultimately that's, that's kind of, that's the task. Um, and I know, I think the closer you can bring the giver to the good, which is something that we feel like is so important, um, the better. And that's really kind of the task that you're describing. It's like, how do we make that happen for all donors, not just major donors or corporate donors or whatever, but how do we hold tight to that? And I think that's that's a call to action that I think all listeners and anyone, regardless of their role in a nonprofit, can really hold on to. So I really appreciate that reminder, Clay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. <music>